Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of How to Scale a Business. I'm on with Robert Cornish, founder and CEO of Richter. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor and also really appreciate it a lot, Robert. Thanks for having me, June. Awesome. And Richter Company is part of the 5000 INC. So it's a list of fastest growing companies in America, as well as like receive a Silicon Valley Business Journal Fast 50 Awards. Uh, that's pretty awesome. And also including the Puget Sound Fast 100, right? Yep. And we have the founder and CEO right on our show. So I'm just curious, all big things and great stuff um, started like from, from something small. So I'm curious, Robert, how did you start your career? Well, I mean, I, so I've, I've been an entrepreneur really all my life, always, you know, wanting to, you know, start a company and, and things like that, always had an interest in it. But I started this company specifically because I, uh, just the idea kind of hit me. I had an initial idea that hit me about, you know, reputation management and things like that at the time. And I, I had noticed that on Google at the time in 2008, in social media, you could, you could really control everything that showed up on the first page of Google. And there, so that was kind of the early version was I realized you could you could sort of use all the different social media tools to leverage um, your Google search, you know, results. And so we actually started with a very simple, simple idea. And we started, you know, selling that for companies that had had negative content, negative things that happened online. So for example, one company was a financial company that had a negative remark, like a $10,000 fine from FINRA. And we could bury that, we could push that down in the, in the results and clean up their online PR. And so that was one of the first things that we did. And, and from doing that, it just kind of evolved and evolved and evolved. And the truth is, I, I think you can start a company and be sort of nowhere near how you started, you know, 15 years later. And for us, it's like, we just evolved and turned into what we are today, which is an agency that works with, you know, 55 of the Fortune 500. We do Uh, revenue growth and and the end-to-end B2B sales journey. And we help with content and strategy and consulting. Uh, so we don't even do what we started as. Um, mm. But uh, that that's really how we started. And, and you know, what I think is you, you got to start somewhere. You got to do something. And sometimes, you know, people talk about the minimum viable product. Sometimes it just means starting with a simple offering that you can sell and then scale and then iterate and pivot as you grow. Okay. Um. Actually, the next question that I got it: What's make uh What makes Richter Company survive and thrive for over 15 years? But yeah. the answer that you provide is this is already answered by that. But can we like delve in further with that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, tenacity, persistence, mm -hmm. right? Like when you look at your your vision or where you're going, and and I I think that not quitting. I think the reality is is that unfortunately, I think a lot of people are quitters, and and I think. We all have that gear in us. And I think as long as you don't throw in the towel and then you get up every day and then you you overcome the next barrier and you confront the next obstacle and then you keep finding a way to push through each day, day by day to figure out how can I get closer to the vision? How can we succeed today? What can we do? And how can we grow a little bit more? I, I think that truly is the essence of of you know, we've been bootstrapped for 15 years and we've just persisted. And I think that if you're sort of aggressive, uh, and I mean that in a good way, I mean, aggressive in a good way, you're competitive and you don't give up and quit. 
And I don't mean that in, in a raw, raw term, like getting people pumped up. I mean, really persistent and not quitting because it's very easy. I think there's an inner voice in all of us that, you know, that, that voice where it, it's kind of like, you know what, oh, this is hard. And let me throw in the towel and let me quit, or maybe I can do something else. Or maybe there's something else that's easier. Look, getting to where you're trying to go, it's not easy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be obstacles. It's going to stump you. It's going to be frustrating. And I think that that is the essence of, of growth is like just, just being there and, and staying there and staying in the game. Right. And, um, finding a way to stay in the game. That's, that's how you keep going. hundred percent. Totally agree with that one. That's why you are where you are right now, because yeah. a majority of the people like don't want to fight back with that uh, difficulties. Yeah. That's just amazing. I know there are like myriads of challenges, like thousands or probably hundred thousands of challenges that your company faced. But what's like the greatest one that you've encountered so far and how do you like overcome it? Well, I think, I mean, there, there's definitely been a series, but I, I think that, um, I think COVID was pretty tough at the, at the very beginning. Uh, I think the pandemic was scary. And um, at in the early stages of the pandemic, we had we had accounts receivables, and we had a, uh, we had some customers that didn't pay or delayed or whatever. And obviously, mm -hmm. our payroll is dependent on that. And people weren't calling back; it was completely silent. And so we formulated a plan. We basically formulated a plan for what we were going to do every single day. And and you know, I, I've often said that I think sales handles all. And really, revenue handles all, but sales and revenue handle handles all, and it can can essentially overcome every barrier. And the reason that is is because if you can sell, you can hire more people, you can you can pay the payroll, you can drive innovation, you can invest in the product, you can invest in uh, growth, you can invest in marketing, right? So that was kind of what we defaulted down to was was we were going to outwork every barrier that came up and we built a daily routine of you know 50 50 one to one phone calls and and the calls weren't even selling they were checking in with customers they were checking in not selling in fact asking them well, how's it going what's going on and just getting getting a read on the environment so we made 50 calls a day we sent out 100 one to one emails per day we sent out like we did texts we did appointments we did eight zoom calls per day back to back to back um and we did really more work than we've ever done. And we worked to just outwork every single barrier that came up. And we ended up doing our second highest ever year in 2020. And I think that, but, but initially that was a very scary thing because, you know, we, all of our people are dependent on us. We didn't fire one person. We didn't furlough one person. Uh, we actually hired people through 2020. And so I, I would say that that was probably the biggest barrier, the biggest obstacle that we had overcome at the time outside of initially starting the company. So when I started the company in 2008, there was an economic collapse, right? Like it was a financial collapse in 2008. And I started the company bootstrapped, zero money, March, 2008. So that was probably, that first year and a half was probably the hardest thing we've ever done. Mm. But second to that was probably the pandemic. And aside from this, um, your what your company experienced, how about marketing, marketing industry? What do you think like the biggest uh, challenge that it's facing today? Marketing industry as a whole? As a whole. Uh, 
It's a, it's a good question. I think it's probably a compounded answer, but I think, I think there's a lot of noise and confusion. And I think we have a lot of marketing mm-hmm. automation, a lot of sales automation. We have a lot of tech. And I, and I think that to some degree, sometimes marketers lose sight of the simplicities and the connection to sales and, and their relationship from marketing to sales and to revenue. Um, and I think it's important to work really tightly as a team and, and, and spend some time with the sales team or however sales happens or as close as you can get to revenue to be more connected and more transparent about what you're doing to make sure that as a marketer, you're not doing anything that's fluff and anything that that isn't really driving uh, revenue in some way. And some things are hard to measure. Like I, like obviously there's a big case for brand and there's a big case for a lot of the things that marketing does, but sometimes it's hard to measure and hard to really justify. But I think as much as you can sort of get on the front lines and understand revenue, understand the customer, understand what sales has to go through, the better, because then you're going to be building, building products and building mm-hmm. strategies that are very tightly coordinated to things that are going to move the company forward, you know, and, and as much as we can get away from the complexities and confusions that perhaps, you know, are, are not working as well um, mm. and, and costing the money, a lot of money or a lot of, you know, costing the company a lot of money. I agree. I agree. There's a lot of noise definitely with a marketing, digital marketing, especially. And I agree with the simplicity. That's amazing. And how do you adapt it to that? Like with the changes in this, um, how do you like stay up to date with a development in this, with this latest trends? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I think, I think chasing fads and trends can be dangerous and overwhelming. Um, mm. So I, I think it's good to innovate. I think it's good to pay attention to things. Um, but in the same breath, I think it's almost like you want to run pilot programs for various th- things and run it on the sideline, have a pilot program, test things and run a pilot. But in the, in the same breath, you, you really want to hunker down to the things that are working, like be doing things that work and, and really expand on, on the things that are working. So look, if I'm just making this up, but if, if direct mail is working for you, great. If, if direct response one-to-one is working for you, great. If ads, digital ads are working with you, great. Mm-hmm enhance those and do more of those. And then in the same breath, go test things, go test and pilot different projects. So if you're thinking about doing, um, you know, an influencer campaign, good, put a little money there, test it on the side, follow the data, see how it goes, and then do more of those things that work. But, and the same, but don't chase everything. It goes back to the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, chasing two rabbits, you chase two rabbits and, and both get away you know, there's an element of focus. Like you don't want to get so overwhelmed because there's a million things going on thinking that you have to do all these different things. I think find the best practices for your business, test things, and then incorporate those things. There are a million marketing things to do. And and, and the truth is almost hardly any company can do them all. And you end up doing, if you try and chase them all, you end up doing none or certainly none of them very well. And, um, and so I think it's important to sort of master things that work really well for your business and then test the other things to see if you can bring those in. Mm, and like double down on what really works for you. Yeah. 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 That's great. And I know there are a lot, as you said, but is there like, how about we'll go with the uh, specific tactics or let's say tools that have been like particularly effective in growing your business? 
we do. I mean, look, we've for 15 years, we've been building our own in-house demand gen team. So mm-hmm. we have a demand gen team that does one-to-one work and um, we've built out all of the assets. So we, we mapped out our sale, like from pre-sales through to sales, we mapped out that journey and what that journey actually looks like. All the content along that journey that would be needed, all the messaging, all the videos, all the decks, all the case studies, all the landing pages, all of that stuff we mapped out. And then we have our demand gen team. We've done homework on exactly who our audience is. So when you look at your audience, if you were to survey 20, 30, 40 of of your ideal customers, and you looked at all the data of those people, the people that, that, you know, where are they? What title are they? How big is the company? Who signed the contract? If you knew everything about that, so you could sort of mirror that and go go after other people that fit that criteria. We've done that homework. And, and then what are the pain points or problems they're trying to solve? You do that homework and now you can make accurate messaging that's relevant for the right person. And, and we can do one-to-one work to, to go pursue those exact people. So we do a lot of that. And that's really probably our go-to strategy. Um, you know, and and that's probably the number one, but we do a lot of other things too. Like I've I'm pretty busy on LinkedIn. I've done a lot of thought leadership there. Uh, I got a lot of followers. I have my own podcast. We do a lot of um, account-based selling, account-based marketing, account-based selling, things like that. But there's things that we aren't doing, you know, and there's things that we need to be doing more of. Um, but those are really the things that we focus on. That's definitely great. And can you speak any metrics or KPIs you use to like measure the success of the your business or at least the, the businesses that you've helped through in scaling theirs? You know, for us, I mean, the business we work with at Richter are already scaled, right? So we, we work with Fortune Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, it's interesting because our separate company, Content One, works with B2B SMB companies. Richter works exclusively with companies that are Fortune, Fortune 1000, essentially. And it's interesting because those companies don't talk about scaling because they already scaled. They're always, mm. there's growth and there's targets and things they're trying to do. Um, and they keep a lot of those metrics and, and, and the data and everything like that. So we actually don't measure a lot of that for, for the customer. Um, for ourselves, we have, we have a series of stats that we pay attention to. Ultimately, I've always just been big on the basics. I've always been big on, you know, sales, gross income, you know, revenue from what we're doing and just focusing on which ones are moving the needle on those. And I know nowadays it's funny because there's, there's a huge amount of, um, it's a huge amount of nomenclature and stats that mm. people are measuring on ad spend and on uh, and all sorts of metrics. I've never been a big sort of like data metrics guy, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's the right way. I'm just saying that that's we we've really just focused on the basics of like how many sales, you know, how many, what's the actual revenue, and 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 tracking that, you know, directly as as directly as we can. So. Uh, the truth is I'm probably the wrong guy to ask for, you know, all of the metrics mm. and all the data points, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and in in general, like talking about uh, core tenants or principle, what do you think like your like core principle in, in running this business and making this business grow, survive and thrive? What's the well, foundation? I'm, yeah. So we, I mean, we built, you know, we built 12 core values. So we have, we have 12 core values that we actually shared with everybody internally. And and that's a big part that actually, I think understanding your own core values, whatever those are, but we, we created 12 core values. We built videos around them. We actually gamify them and we actually reward our people based off the core values. And when problems come up, 
um, we encourage our people to actually solve problems with one of the core values. So for example, like one of the core values is be fast. And um, when you look at doing something and, you know, maybe another area or somebody's being going along a little too slowly, you know, someone else could be handled with the core value. Just go, look, here's the core value. Like, let's, let's review this. Let's go back through it. And it can handle most of the problems. Um, you know, another core value is service the customer fully. It's like, if you haven't fully serviced the customer, you know, and there's an issue there, it's like, you could just go back to the core value, take a look and, and, and look at what core value is out. Maybe you need to service them fully and make sure that they're completely happy. Um, you know, so we've, we've got these sort of like 12 core values that, that kind of guide the company. And then we have these two promises, which is like delivering stellar products and a world-class customer experience. And those are sort of non-negotiables within our company. And those have helped sort of form our culture and how we operate. Those are non-negotiables. So yeah. that's how firm it is. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, what's like the advice you can uh, provide to business owners? Because we have a lot of listeners like from small to medium size one. Yeah. I know you've already operated under 500. That's pretty amazing. But for these, a small to medium size in the same industry like marketing, um, what advice can you provide to them to succeed in the industry? I mean, there's a lot of things I could say about that, but I would just simply say one of the things that I think small and medium sized companies run into is, you know, they're trying to do too much. And I think that if you can shed roles, uh, I've talked about this a lot of, of sh the idea of shedding roles. So mm -hmm. find out what you're doing. And especially from a management standpoint, you need to start writing up those roles that you're doing, whether it's in finance or sales or marketing or production or delivery of the product or customer success. You need to start writing up those roles. You need to invest in building training, building manuals and building the exact right kind of training. And then you need to build a management team. We call it a division head team but build a management team and be, build people that can take extreme ownership to run those different divisions. And you have someone over finance, you have someone over marketing, you have someone over sales and you build a management team. That's the best A players, the most competent people that you can. And then you can rely on them to sort of push your objectives to that team and have them take it down to their people to get the outcomes they need to get. That's probably one of the best things you can do is write up and shed roles, like get roles off of you and get them delegated to other leaders who can then take the vision and bring it to life for their division. And you continue to do that throughout the entire organization. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to bottleneck the organization. We can talk about scaling all you want, but the reality is the way to scale is with a team and with training and with the right players on the bus and the right seats, as Jim Collins says, making sure you have the right people doing the right things, getting the right outcomes. That is the way to scale. That's just like liquid gold. Amazing. Yeah. And for our listeners who wanted to connect with you or work with you, let's say partner with you, yeah. what is the best way to do that? I mean, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So it's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Robert M. Cornish. And then, you know, Twitter as well. It's Robert M. Cornish at Robert M. Cornish on Twitter. Um, so you can follow me there, but I'm definitely very active on LinkedIn. So that would be the place. That's pretty amazing. And that's very, that, that short. I hope we have like a lot more time to spend to, to do this interview with you. But the information that you provided to us, the answer to, to my questions are super insightful. Again, we can consider it as a liquid gold. 
And we are pretty like honored you providing us this information and also attending to our podcast. Really appreciate you being in the show. Really appreciate you being in the show. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Thank you.